Halloween. It's coming up. It's a strange time for Christians. There's an abundance of ghosts and witches and ghouls. There's devil's uh, outfits for children, horns and tails and pitchforks. And it all seems alarmingly unchristian. And as a diligent young Christian, that's the stance I took. You wouldn't catch me wearing any horns or tails come Halloween. But then I suppose in your 20s you would look a bit stupid if you did. Or your late teens. But then the arrival of a couple of daughters made me have to rethink that whole thing. How was I going to deal with it? And I think like many things within our culture, we've got to listen and watch. And maybe one of the most um, enlightening moments for me was uh, Caitlin was about three and she was um, up the stairs in Bally Castle and she was singing that song, you know, you take your the old man by the legs and you throw him down the stairs. And I looked up and said, Caitlin, that's not very Christian. And she looked at me with the wisdom of a three-year-old and said, Daddy, it's just a song. And yet, on Halloween, I still surmised. And then I thought I'll do a bit of research. And I discovered that the original idea of wearing these outfits at Halloween was Christians protecting themselves from the darker, evil side. Who knew? In earlier times... Christians would wear costumes as disguises to navigate their way through what they felt was a heightened evil presence. Perhaps once again, Christians were doing what Oz Guinness would suggest we would do when he said, most Christians would die rather than think. In fact, most do. And of course, we sensationalized it. We always judge it. We always are negative about it. And maybe miss. Maybe miss something because we're not being with the culture. So let me move it into three. um, I thought it was good on Facebook last night. I was able to say we'd be listening to apostles. We would be listening to reformers. And we would be listening to pop stars. And I left C.S. Lewis out of that. But he will come. This idea, when I was working through it with my children about Halloween, I immediately, because of the resources that are within me, um, thought of you uh, 2 I don't do it enough. I could do it every week. I could do it 20 times every week, but I try to try to not yield to the temptation. But there was a moment around 1990, 89, 90, where Bono was, and he was doing it in the last tour as well, Bono would dress up as a demonic character called McFisto and he would do all of this stuff that the devil would maybe want from us from the stage trying to portray to a culture the evil that was around them in dramatic form but not all Christians most would die rather than think and in fact this one almost did But somehow she got herself onto a stage with Bono. He's a great man for having people up to dance with him. And this Christian girl got up to dance with him while he was dressed as McFisto, with the horns and all. 
And being concerned for his soul, as many are with Bono, she said to him as they danced, Are you still a believer, Bono? To which Bono answered, Yes, I am. And she responded, Well, what about the devil outfit? And he said, Have you ever read C.S. Lewis' The Screwtape Letters? And she went, Bing! I have, it's great. That's what I'm doing, he said. As if to prove the point, their next video, Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me, was a cartoon where Bono is knocked down in the cartoon dressed as McFisto and a book is thrown out of his hands and it lies on the ground and as it lies on the ground across the front of the book, just for Christians who would die rather than think, were the words, the screw tape letters, C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, there's Americans in the house, from Belfast, not from Chicago or Wheaton, whoever has the museum. He came from here first. Honestly, some people say to me, really? We're so humble in Belfast. We don't like to tell people that C.S. Lewis would have come from here. The screw tape letters, the preface, C.S. Lewis says, mock the devil and he will flee from you. Mock the devil and he will flee from you. Paraphrasing, of course, that New Testament verse of James, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But you see, Lewis has gone back to that originality of being with the culture, where the original Christians dressed in these outfits to navigate their way through by some kind of disguising or mocking the devil. Martin Luther said the best way to drive out the devil if he will not yield to the text of scripture, is to jeer and flout him, for he cannot bear scorn. It's fascinating stuff as we come to the week that we're in. Fascinating stuff as we would take a sensationalist, holier-than-thou view of Halloween, to see that pop stars, Belfast literature, literary geniuses, reformers, and New Testament epistle writers all say we should mock or resist the devil. What's all this got to do with our Being With series? Well, I felt that being near Halloween, we should think about being with our culture. How do we get to be with our culture? Do we stand back from our culture? Do we find a little Christian ghetto that we hide away in, singing Christian songs? Or are we called to be in the midst of our culture? Like we said a few weeks ago, the exiles in Babylon, to build and to make gardens and to be part of the city and pray for the peace and prosperity of the city because of the peace of the city's peaceful and prosperous, Jeremiah tells us, then we will benefit from that. How are we engaged with the culture? Now, I might do this over two weeks. I need to think, have I got the time in the week that's ahead to do the second one I would like to look at here and how we shape the culture politically and socially, etc., But I want us to start with this Acts chapter 17 passage that I think is a very interesting passage of Paul being with the culture. Paul has arrived in Athens and he's been doing his missionary journeys and he has been speaking about the resurrection of the dead and Jesus and all of this kind of stuff. And most of the places until he gets to Acts uh, chapter 17, until he gets to Athens in Acts chapter 17, because uh, Acts 17 is not where Athens is. Athens happens to be in Acts 17. We need to sometimes work some of those things out as well. In Athens, he discovers that it's different than the places he's already been. What's the difference? 
Well, if we read through the earlier chapters, we find that usually he's in a synagogue. So if he's in a synagogue or with a community of Jewish people, it's very easy for Paul to use those symbols and images that were familiar to him as growing up as a Jew in order to share the gospel and the good news of Jesus with those within the synagogue. He would use images like the Lamb of God or the blood of the Lamb, biblical images that would be easily understood within a Jewish context. But here he discovers that as he tries to talk about um, the gospel in a more pagan context, that they really have no idea what his illustrations are. They're, they're floundering. What's he babbling about, they're saying? And so Paul needs to take a whole different approach. And it's interesting in the reading that Richard gave us that at the start he's concerned about the idol worship. I don't think that changes throughout this particular episode in Athens. But he moves from resisting, just resisting the idol worship, to having to say, how can I be within this culture in order to make myself able to find illustrations from within this culture to share the gospel that I've been sharing so easily in the Jewish context. And that's what he does in this particular part of the Acts of the Apostles. While he's in Athens, he does what John Stock calls a double listening. Oh, he has the word of God very clearly, Paul, although he's writing some of it as we uh, journey with him and he hasn't got the whole New Testament as it's set out. But he brings the word of God and he looks around him at what the culture or the world that he's in in Athens is saying and he listens to both and he brings them together in order to be able to communicate in a relevant contemporary way to the community or society of people that he's speaking in at that given time. John Stott calls it a double listening. And I was looking at a lot of John Stott last night and I thought that maybe for some of our younger members of the congregation, you nearly need to explain who John Stott is now. But in the 80s and 90s and before that, but in the 80s particularly, John Stott helped the evangelical Christian church to think outside the box and to actually think about contemporary issues and how to make them relevant. He called this double listening in a wonderful book he wrote called The Contemporary Christian. Probably come out in the mid-80s, I think. Maybe mid to late 80s. He says this. Here's the challenge for us as a church in a much more secular world than the church that maybe you started coming to Fitzroy in, if some of you uh, are a little bit more mature. Here's the question that Stott asks us. How can we develop a Christian mind which is both shaped by the truths of historical biblical Christianity and acquainted with the realities of the contemporary world. How can we do that? How can we bring our biblical mindsets and worldviews uh, to the realities of the contemporary world that we particularly, the culture that we live in? He answers this way. First, he says, we refuse, and this is really interesting, we refuse to become either so absorbed in the word, he's challenging us about not being so absorbed in the word of God that we escape into it and fail to let it confront the world. It's almost what Chris was trying to talk to us about last Sunday night. And they're looking at the reality of the world that we live in rather than finding some magic that escapes it. 
Stott says we refuse to become either so absorbed in the word that we escape into it and fail to let it confront the world, or so absorbed in the world that we conform to it and fail to subject it to the judgment of the word. So we can be so involved and absorbed in the word of God that the word of God becomes all of our reality, which it was never meant to be, because the reality is the reality that's on around us, and the word of God was meant to speak to us into how we respond to that reality. So we don't become so absorbed in the word that we miss the world around us, neither do we become so absorbed in the world around us that we lose the power and the truth and the cutting edge of the word. He goes on. What we must then do is listen to the world with critical alertness, anxious to understand it, and resolve not necessarily to believe and obey it, but to sympathize with it, and to seek grace to discover how the gospel relates to it. We need to listen to the culture around us, as Paul's doing in Athens in the passage we've read today, listen to the world around us with critical alertness, anxious to understand it as Paul does in Athens, and then resolve not to necessarily believe it and obey it. I don't believe at the end of this passage Paul becomes an idol worshipper, but he sympathizes with it. And he seeks grace to discover how the gospel relates to the Athens that he's walking around in. How did that work itself out in the life of John Stott? Well, I was this week just looking at John Stott and culture and I came across a wonderful interview where he says this, and this might be something we can do this week or something we are doing that we should get a wee bit of a pat on the back for. He says, in this business of relevance, I felt that I myself and probably my friends spent enough time studying the word and theological books that helped us understand the word. My major weakness, Stock goes on, was a lack of understanding of the modern mind, of what was actually going on around me. So the purpose of starting a reading group was very deliberately to oblige us to listen more attentively and intelligibly to the modern world. We need to do this double listening. Paul does it wonderfully in Athens. He listens to their poets, he looks at their artists, he listens to their philosophers, he sympathizes with it and seeks grace to use the culture around him to bring into play some ability to be able to share the gospel with others. A few weeks ago I did a funeral of a mad David Bowie fan. And so I went into, and have to say I enjoyed it, I indulged myself in David Bowie for a week so that I was able to use David Bowie to share the gospel with those who would be at that funeral. The gospel, according to series that we've done here in Fitzroy for 10 years, is doing exactly what Paul did in Athens in Acts 17. And the mark of its success for me, personally, is this. On the 17th of November, we will look at the gospel according to young female pop stars. And that has been written in all the songs that we're going to do by Jasmine. 
who, because she's been 10 years at Gospel According To's, now listens to Lady Gaga and Katy Perry and Jessie J with a mind that says, where are the issues of the gospel? Where are the things of God in the songs that I'm listening to? Because the Gospel According To series does many things. It attempts for us to be able to share the gospel in relevant ways in an Acts chapter 17 way with community of people that many times haven't been in church ever before or have lost their faith in church and are coming because we're doing Bruce Springsteen or Bob Dylan or Leonard Cohen or U2 or Van Morrison. That's part of it. But another part of it is so that we would educate ourselves, so that we would exercise our own listening so that it might not be Bob Dylan we listen to, but whatever we're listening to, or whatever we're watching, or whatever novel we're reading, we are coming to it with a double listening. I want to briefly mention, because we don't have time, a triple listening. While I was doing my master's in music and social transformation with Stephen Williams, I sensed there was another listening. Yes, we need to hear the word of God and we need to hear the world and we need to somehow bring those together as we become relevant in the world that we live in. But there were other moments when actually the world led me to the word of God rather than the other way around. Live Aid in 1985 was probably the start of a journey for me that ended up with this church tithing their halls development to build a school in Uganda. It was Bob Geldof that made me ask a question, what is the church doing in order to be with the world? Brilliance is equally distributed. Opportunity is not, is a new phrase that our friend Trinity has brought us in Fitzroy. What were we doing around the world? And it seemed to me at that time that pop stars were feeding the world when maybe the church weren't doing as well as they should be or could be. And I had to go back into the word of God and say, is this a biblical mandate? And I discovered in the prophets that it was. Getting up one morning in Gugaletu in a church in the Cape Flats of Cape Town, Spiwo Kapili, the minister, says Steve's going to come and tell us why he's here. And so on the way up to the front, I had to find out in about 20 steps, why am I here? And I remember getting to the front and realizing that I was here because of Peter Gabriel, who's not my favorite singer, but wrote a song called Biko that made me first think about apartheid in South Africa and led me on a journey that took me onto the Cape Flats to build houses with Habitat for Humanity and our students in chaplaincy on those flats. It was Biko and Steve Van Zandt who were telling me about apartheid when at that point, at least in my life, I wasn't hearing it from a pulpit or in the Christian books that I was reading. That's a third listening, where God has to actually use something else to get to us because we're not getting what we need to hear in the places we maybe should be or could be. Of course, I'm not new to thinking about this because Clement of Alexandria in the second century as quoted by John Stott in the 20th, says there seems to be truth among all men and women. And we need to be listening for those places that we don't expect to see Jesus or hear Jesus, but that he's there. Finally, as we wind up, what has that got to do with all of us on a daily basis this week? Well, Calvin Seerfeld, who is a reformed um, theologian of art, Um, 
and has written many wonderful books about that, has said this. Any public which denies artistry its rightful place under the sun forfeits a rich source for imaginative knowledge. If the public or Fitzroy, if the public or Fitzroy is unwilling to learn the difference between, on the one hand, the visionary leader and honest artisan, or on the other hand, the shyster, the opportunist and the trendy fellow traveller, that public will become colourless and a pastiche. This means that people at large and people in Fitzroy are called upon to be attentive, relatively well-informed and critically compassionate patrons of the arts. People will say to me, you wrote a book on you too. And I went, I did. And they would say, are they Christians? And I would say, they are. And they say, you know, I've been listening for years. And I didn't know. And I go, how frightening. <laughs> because if the devil's the top of the charts, are you listening to him and thinking as stupidly about it or as little about it as you are about you too? If we're not attentive, if we're not well informed, if we don't critique what we read or we listen to or what we watch, what is getting through? And what are we becoming as a result? I said to the children, very young, anybody read a book this week? Anybody seen TV this week? Anybody listen to a song this week? Now if we're not engaging with that, if we're not listening attentively to that, then I would suggest we're in real danger. Not real danger of being useless at communicating in the modern world, which is what this whole sermon's been about, but just in danger of being useless, full stop. Because we're not using what we're listening to and reading and watching as a vital resource for our Christian thinking and our spiritual formation. With students, I was a student at the start of the change we had in in greetings. Uh, We used to greet each other by shaking each other's hand on the way past. But now what we do is we have a different kind of greeting. Have you seen this greeting? You see somebody 40 yards down the road, you know who they are, you're about to meet them and you're going to shake hands with them. Well, you don't shake hands now. What you do now is you go... Because you've got to take out the earphones before you do the shaking hands. So every student I used to say, what it is are you listening to? And how is your aesthetic obedience? Is Jesus Lord of what's on your iPhone? What do you mean, Steve? Catch yourself on. Don't take it so seriously. Really? Is Jesus Lord of just some things? And ask yourself how much listening you do. How much watching you do. How much reading you do. That might actually be the most important thing for Jesus to be Lord of. And finally, if as a church or a Christian community we're going to be at all relevant in the world that we live in, we need to be like Paul and realize that the old symbols that we use, nobody understands anymore. We've got to find traction in the things of our culture and bring the word of God and the good news of the gospel 
to bear upon that with those ways. And the gospel according to seems to be one way to do that. So good, may I inform you, that Premier Magazine Radio and Network in general would like to do our Gospel According to series across the UK, and we're talking about that with them at this moment in time. How to listen to the word, how to listen to the world, and how to communicate what we believe in ways that are relevant. We need to be with the culture. Let us pray together. Lord, if we look back over the last week at what we have watched, listened to, or read, perhaps the default, if we're a little bit older, is, oh, should we have been watching that? John Stott suggests, and Paul as well, here in Athens in Acts 17, that perhaps, yes, there's nothing we shouldn't be watching or very little we shouldn't be watching, but we need to come with a very critical, deliberate, and sensitive way. As Stott says, to seek grace to discover how the gospel relates to it. Lord, we pray that we wouldn't be what Oz Guinness described many Christians. Those who would die rather than think. Lord, help us to be thoughtful. Help us to be attentive. Help us to be deliberate. Help us to be sensitive. Help us to seek where you are within our culture. And things we can do and use in order to share the good news with those around us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.